there, Graham Norton here. We've got some great stuff for you on the Graham Norton Waitrose podcast today. Romana Gary joins the cast of BBC drama Vigil for Series 2, and she's here to tell us all about it. Miles Jupp is going on tour. It's called On I Bang, and he tells us more about that soon. Show chef Martha is ready for party season. She's making crab avocado and sriracha cucumber boats. Hello. And Maria McCurlin is rustling through her post bag and oh, she's got them. Two of your letters to solve in Graham's Guide. Whether you welcome me or not, <laughs> I am here and I'm not going anywhere. How did you say so dry? How did I say so dry? Yeah. Very, very many layers and two hats. Ah, the old two hats trick. Yeah. Yes. Your hair isn't so flat. It has a bit of bounce to it, a bit of life. Thank you. Yeah. Um, can I just say, because on our, you know, Graham Norton radio show advert... Our digital screen. Our digital screen. We've got a lot of snowflakes coming down on them. Pretend mm-hmm. snowflakes, mm-hmm. obviously. And it's very distracting. Well, look out the window and okay. uh, that'll cheer you up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's even worse out there. Uh, yeah, so be pleased. Uh, birthday girl. Happy birthday, Maria. Oh. Uh, yeah, you can play it today. Yeah, go on. Play, play the whole thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we don't need that. Thank you very much. No, Maria doesn't like it. No, it's lovely. Thank you very much, Aina. Um, But yes, uh, and I'm in the Saturday magazine in the Times. Yes, you are legs akimbo. I know. I'm wearing a big, very oversized shearling coat, a sort of lamb coat. Oh, I thought I, it was marabou. No, no, it's oh. it's lamb. And so I am literally mutton dressed as lamb. <laughs> I'm just getting that in there before anyone else does, OK? But that joke has been done now, thank you. I know, <laughs> but you have uh, legs that Angela Rippon would be jealous of, the, the flexibility <laughs> of said leg. Angela Rippon is quite a lot older than me. Yeah, but um, you're wearing a very heavy shoe. I am wearing a heavy shoe. But if you look, I've got good toes, you know, naughty toes, good toes. I've got good toes, pointy. Oh, well done. Yes. And tomorrow, I'm quite nervous. This is a heavy weekend. A, being very old, and B... Um, you interviewing me at the Fortune Theatre in London's West End. I know. Look, it will be... I, do you know what, I know what you mean. I'm kind of nervous about it too. Because it's... So why? You do it all the time. Well, because it's just to be... You know, because I want it to be good for you. And da, da, da. But I think the way we look into it... Look, the people who bought tickets for this thing are like friends. They listen to us on the radio all the time. So I think they're kind of in on it all. So, yes. But yes. I have a fear that when they leave, they'll be enemies. <laughs> <laughs> if we oh. say something wrong. Oh, yes. Ten minutes... Good. Hour and a half. Bad. <laughs> no, it's it will just be us chatting, and we'll probably not not get to the book. We'll just wang on about no, some no. gossip. And I'll so mention on. the book, and and I'll we'll and we'll get we'll get some questions from the audience. And yes. Yes. Yeah. And we'll hand out some colouring books. Yes. It is that awful thing, though, Graham, and I hate to say this because, you know, it's when you raise your head above the parapet, obviously, too late now, I've got a book out and publicising it, um, that you suddenly think, oh, no. And so I'm already thinking in my head, well, it'll soon be Monday morning. And that's terrible because you have to live in the moment. The moment. And also enjoy this. Enjoy the moment. But, yes. you know, anxiety prevents the moment being enjoyable. But I'm working on that. Yeah. I am working on it. I suggest drink. Uh, <laughs> not too much. No. Just a drink. A yes. drink before you get on Should stage. Should we both just go on stage really drunk? Yeah, absolutely. And probably Three do, sheets do dancing. Wind. You do, like to do your fish dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like to do a bit of aerobic dancing. And, and, and the audience are just sitting there slack-jawed, just like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. And we'll just hear the seats going clang, <laughs> clang, clang. Tell me about your week. What have you been doing? Uh, Good show doing? last night, by the way. Oh, I love Julianne Moore. I love her, love her, love she her. She is great, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, really. really. And that movie 
movie is it's called May December. Is it good? Yes. No, because I often, you know, I have to say, it, yeah, it's, it's good. not chat show host good. It's good, good. It's good, good. Uh, it, it's really interesting, good because uh, Natalie Portman plays an actor who's going to study. Yes, her I did watch the show, and uh, there's a bit in it where Natalie Portman does a monologue from her film. But as Julianne Moore... Is it scary? It's really good. It makes you think, wow, I didn't know Natalie Portman was that good. It's really good. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. one to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the Netflix, I believe. I tell you what I watch uh, very quickly. I know you want to play a record. Yeah, I, do. I desperately play a record. Oh, are yeah. you? No, um, no. Tell Bad me Surgeon. Bad Surgeon on the Netflix. Oh, is it about the facey for... So, no, so? no. Uh-huh. Three episodes of um, unbelievable stuff. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. That's all. It, is it one man or lots of broad surgeons? One man. Okay. Does he leave things in people? He's a pioneer in surgery <laughs> until he's not. Yeah. No one, I, you know, I think when, I, when I'm also, looking for surgery, I'm not looking for a pioneer or a bargain. No, no. Those are the two things you're not exactly. looking for. <laughs> and also uh, a marriage that the Pope is about to uh, do. He's going to run the marriage, as it were. No, what is it? Marry, Marry them. them. Marry them. That's <laughs> what I'm looking for. Yeah, the Pope and so on. I, it's unbelievable and people will just, your head will explode. And what's that on? The Netflix? Netflix. The Netflix. Three one. parts, yeah. All about, oh, three hours. Of, I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, could have been done in about yeah. 35 minutes. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Virgin Radio. Radio Dear Graham and Maria, my boyfriend and I have be- had been friends for about five years or so, as we were all part of the same friendship group. Then we started dating a couple of months ago. I'm having such a lovely time with him and truly believe the friends to lovers route is the best way to go. But I'm having a bit of a hard time when we're around said existing friendship group. We all go to the same pub once a week and ever since we made it official, he's acted so strange in front of the same friends we've been hanging out with for years. He interrupts me, ignores me, and while I'm not a big fan of the PDA, public despair of affection, he gives me no attention or affection at all. I figured that this was a bit of a defence mechanism that he'd grow out of after a few weeks as we navigate our dynamic in the friendship group. But it's still happening and he denies all knowledge of it. I don't want to bring it up with our friends and embarrass him or cause drama, but I do really wonder if they've noticed it. How can I go back to being normal when we're hanging out with our friends? I can't feel this awkward around them forever. And that is from Phoebe in Coventry. This is an odd one, Phoebe and Coventry, and it slightly sets alarm bells going for the future. Because you're right, I think, it's a defence mechanism. He's overcompensating in a way. You've announced to this friendship group that you are now an item, having been friends for five years, and he's overcompensating by by kind of almost like putting you down in front of them. And I'm sure the friends that you hang out with could care less, couldn't care less, whatever the phrase is, about whether you're a, a couple now or not. But... The thing is, you have mentioned it to him. You've said to him, oh, you know, you're weird with our friends around me now and I don't like it. And he said, no, uh, that's not happening. Uh, That hasn't happened at all. So I don't know what you can do now you've mentioned it, other than, uh, you know, it's going to drive you mad and then one day you will explode and say, stop talking to me like that in front of our friends and then there'll be a big row and you'll finish. And then you'll go back to being friends. 
and well, they won't, and the whole friendship group will implode. Oh, yeah, that's, that's I like there. the fact that you and I go straight to tragedy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a very simple oh. problem, but no. And now you're truly alone, Phoebe. <laughs> No friends, no boyfriend, nothing. No, for you, I'm joking. Here's the thing. I just think this sounds a bit like school or something. Doesn't it just? It, it just sounds like school. We're kind of like, I fancy that girl, so I'm going to be a bit horrible to yeah, her in I'm front of everyone. I'm going to flick her with my ruler. Yeah. So it's just I odd. You said it to him. Now, I would say, Phoebe, to stop him gaslighting you and make you feel like you're going crazy, is there one... I would, I would pick a girl in your friendship group who you're a bit closer to oh, than the others. Oh, who can do the saying. Oh, just, or just say to her... Look, am I being? Have I have I project? Have I imagining this, or is he a bit weird towards me now? Is he is he behaving different to me? And actually, he's behaving worse to me now that we're actually a couple. And see if they notice it, because maybe Phoebe, and I don't want to gaslight you, but maybe you're feeling odd in the group. Maybe you want him. Maybe you want him to be different now that your boyfriend's a girlfriend, and he's just being the same. Mm. So I, you just want to be careful where you are, because I don't know who's playing games here. It might be you in your own head, Phoebe, thinking I, I want him to, you know, hold me in front yeah, of my friends. Yeah, no, I mean, public displays of affection are irritating, particularly with friendship. Groups. Yeah, with friendship groups, you've, you've never never done it before, so don't start now. But the interrupting you thing. Um, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and correcting, good, excellent work. Um, and correcting you, etc. Um, is <laughs> you made yourself laugh now. Yeah, no, I, I'm so tempted, but no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure you were. Uh, I think that's not good, and I think that doesn't bode well for future either. That's why I get a slight panic in because you're seeing something in him that is there and is needy to do. So I think you just say to him again, maybe one more time. Look, um, I'm I and get a friend involved. I just feel that um you know you you act, you act differently around me with our friends and it makes me feel a bit anxious yeah and it's five years of friendship two months of boyfriend so you know it's early days early days good luck i would say to you phoebe you don't because, think it's gonna last well, do no, you? I, I think it might okay. I, I think it might uh, but you know this is going to be a problem dara sponsors part one of my favorite responders today will be getting <gasps> a number one florentine inspired panettone courtesy of waitrose you know an italian cake with sicilian candied orange peel sultanas and candied cherries with a caramel filling topped with chocolate, hazelnuts, almonds, candied orange peel and freeze-dried cherries. Hello. All right. Hi, Phoebe. I've been going out with my new girlfriend of six months, having been friends for 11 years. Well, Max from Gloucester will know what's going on. It's normal to feel unsettled as the dynamic adjusts and you feel more protective of them and demanding of their time and attention than you did when you were friends. You should gently convey your anxieties, but don't overthink it as it's a very special transition into such a relationship. All right. Uh, Phoebe should get a second opinion on this from a friend she trusts, but don't make it a drama. If her friend agrees that he's acting odd, then she needs to confront him again about it. If he still doesn't change, then I'm afraid you may need to reassess the relationship. How someone treats you in front of other people is as important uh, a part of the relationship, uh, not just how great they are when it's just the two of you. That's from Steph in Whitechapel. And Tony in the World says, Phoebe, uh, maybe you are that friend with benefits. Give it time. It will either resolve itself or you will finish with him. Um, everyone hates PDAs as long as you are comfortable in private. Does it matter? Well, now, Tony, the thing is, I don't think she's a friend with benefits because they, they've gone public. They've said to the friends that uh, he's you know, he is the boyfriend. So I don't think that's what's going on. And Ian in Preston, 
Jackson says, uh, Phoebe, he sounds a bit like I used to be. Married 16 years now. Yes, Phoebe, there's hope. And he's rather not acknowledging the problem. Maybe remember a specific example of something he does and ask him about it later, explaining how it made you feel without contrasting it with before the relationship. Okay. Uh, the Florentine-inspired Panettone is going to Max in Gloucester. There you go. You're getting that. Graham's Guide. <laughs> What's happening? I thought that was the death rattle. No, I'm cooking from the inside out. <coughs> oh, okay. dear. Sorry. I know you reminded me by doing that noise that I needed to cough. We worked so well together, Graham. Dear Graham and Maria... My partner and I went through a miscarriage nine weeks ago, which was very early on. Four weeks after it happened, she told me that she didn't love me anymore and the things she needs in a relationship aren't there anymore for her. We've been together for 15 years and met as teenagers. We have a half-renovated house, which may be difficult to sell, and my whole world has been turned upside down. Should I wait in hope that she may change her mind or move on? I'm concerned about her now, as she has been a very different character and is cold and clinical. The miscarriage may be affecting her more than she realises, but she says it's not that. What should I do? And that is from Connor in Hampshire. Oh, Connor in Hampshire, I'm so sorry for both you and your partner. Uh, that's uh, really upsetting. It's so raw and it's so new. I just urge you both to do nothing. You have to just be with your grief for, for now. People say, it's such a difficult one, miscarriage, because everyone says to you, oh, you'll have another baby. And it's so insensitive because you have lost a child, a much longed for child. We don't know when it, how far along, but it doesn't matter because the grief is still the same. So... I want you, though, Connor, to get in touch with the Miscarriage Association because the grief that somebody feels is all affecting and all encompassing. And I think your partner is just, there's blame going on, there's, you know, introspection and looking at the relationship and whys and wheres, and, and suddenly it's coming down to you. It's your fault. And there's, so don't either of you do anything. Really, you just have to be with this for a while. I think she's lashing out. It may well be that this is the case, but don't do anything yet. Wait and support each other because you're grieving too. Just support each other. Don't keep saying this is what's happening. This You're more affected. Just get through every day and try and understand each other in a little bit of a, a better way. Then you can discuss this because what she wants to do now, it seems to me, is throw everything up in the air. She's lost a baby. She wants to throw all the balls in the air and break everything. Break your new house half done up. Break the relationship. Break herself. This is not the time to be doing that. I do get in touch with the Miscarriage Association just for both of you to talk to somebody, to understand things a bit better. It's very lonely when it's just the two of you. Graham? Yeah, no, absolutely. You must talk to someone, Connor, I think, because this is so much for you to deal with. And I do feel for you both mm. in, in this circumstance, but particularly now you, because, you know, you were dealing with grief and now you're dealing with everything else. The only thing I would warn you, Connor, is grief, certainly, whether it does or not, it gives you a feeling of clarity. Grief makes you kind of go, you know what? 
nothing else matters. This is the thing, you know, this is my through line. I can see life clearly now. Because we're clutching at straws. When life is out of control, you're clutching at something you can control. So if in grief your partner has gone, actually, this isn't the life I want, da-da-da-da-da, that may be her final decision. That's all. I, 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 just be prepared, Connor. Yes. That, that that this actually might be real. This may not just be, uh, you know, a, a reaction to the. It might be your partner suddenly seeing life very clearly through a lens of grief and kind of going, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this house. I don't want to be with you. And and that's that's going to be really hard. But they're very isolated years. in their grief at the moment. And yeah. actually, it's something that they could be joined with. Even if, as you say, Graeme, it may well be that after 15 years and a teenage love affair, uh, the party's over, uh, there's something that you can do together to heal rather than kind of jagged edges. Yes, I agree. Yeah, Even if this is the end, there's prob- there must be a way that you can kind of... Because uh, uh, you'll be bonded by this forever. You know, that sort of, that, yeah. this, that loss is kind of the two of you together forever. But, but I would kind of caution you, Connor, not to kind of think, oh, you know... She'll, That's the reason. Yeah, she'll calm down and da da da. Actually, she may just be going. That was the thing I needed to make me see everything, um, and yeah. Because haven't you find that with people? I find a lot of people often break up after grief or yes. I think it's a it's a hand grenade that kind of blows everything apart. But you're right. There's some clarity sometimes, and it may well be the thing she needs. But I think for the moment, you know, they've got a house that's half finished. They have to sell. Blah blah blah. There's too much going on for them to think about the other stuff about splitting up after such a long time together. That's for a few months down the line. But they need to unravel these feelings before they attempt the next set. Yeah, I mean, and also because it was just nine weeks, it's so difficult because yeah, I'm sure loads of people didn't know yep. that you you guys were pregnant. So it's very hard to share that grief. Maybe that's good. I don't know. I don't. Connor, I feel for you. I'm sure people listening have been through uh, similar situations to this and will have advice for you. Well, my favourite sponsor today is getting that number one Florentine inspired panettone, courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, Dave Faversham says, hi guys, Connor should do exactly as Maria suggested and also engage with couples counselling. Uh, Annie and Wiltshire says, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. You might consider asking your partner if she would come to see a therapist with you to grieve the shared loss. Ask for her support support. She would at least see that you are grieving too. As Graham says, it could have opened something up. It could have opened something up, something else. But grief is complex. Go well, Connor. It worries me that Connor mentioned the house. Is he worried about losing his partner or the logistics? I wonder if he has really listened to her and how she is feeling. Does he know what she feel? What she feels is missing. If not, a therapist may help him to listen and truly understand. They are going through a horrible time. That's from Gareth from Bath. And Ruth says, please tell him not to despair. I lost a baby at 39, went on to have a healthy boy at 41 and triplets at 54. It's hard, but rarely all is lost. The grief is immense and no one can take it away, but you have to look forward. A miscarriage is a natural way to remove a pregnancy that has problems. Thank you very much for sharing that, Ruth. Um, 
I tell you what, I'm going to give the, the Panagioni to Annie in Wiltshire. And thank you very much for uh, sharing that advice with a, such a difficult problem. Thanks for getting in touch, Connor. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Joining us now is the new star of Vigil. Season 2 returns to BBC One tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. Uh, Romana Gary, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. No, so happy to see you because I because you were on. I got to see episode one of Vigil and we were saying during the record you know people will be worried because we loved the first season and the chance of getting it right again it's so good yeah it was I, I, I was like everyone a fan of the show and I was like how I don't really know how they're going to follow that you know but it is really twisty and turny and really exciting the hooks are just brilliant no it really is um, uh, no submarine this time uh, I guess we should tell people uh, who you play and where you are and how you fit into the story yeah yeah, so I play uh, squadron leader Eliza Russell. So this season is not set on a submarine. Uh, it's about uh, drone warfare. So it's a lot about an airbase, like big, open, wide open spaces. Um, my part of the story was set um, in the Middle East. And so uh, Saran's character, Amy Silver, comes to solve a crime in this airbase in the Middle East. And I'm in charge of that, uh, that operate the, the military part of that operation. So, you know, okay. two powerful women, uh, one from the military, one from the police, kind of going up against each other. Ooh. Ooh. And now you say set in the Middle East. <laughs> were, it's quite a wide were, area. Were yeah. you were, were you actually just sat on a beach in Bognor? Yeah, yeah. They really had to, to crank the lights up. Um, no, we filmed it in Morocco. Oh, wow. Gosh, oh, hey, hello. Yeah, look at that. Hello, yeah. vigil budget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very nice. And it struck me watching you in your scenes, because film sets are so... so I, I mean, I, I think it's changing, but by and large, film sets are very male Anyway, and are you, apart from Saran, are you the only woman in the army base? Uh, oh, no, there's a couple. There are a couple more at the table. Yes, there's a, a couple more ca- uh, characters of um, uh, women in the story. But, I mean, actually, Vigil is a very female-heavy show because you've obviously got two female leads. You've got Saran and Rose. Yeah. And then there's, you know, my character and then a number of other women involved in the story. And, um, I, you know, I think for an action, uh, which is essentially what it is, sort of action thriller, yeah. there's actually a lot of women at the centre of the story, which is really great to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and did, I mean, do you do things like, do they make you do bit of army training before you do this or anything like that well I mean I read the script <laughs> and was aware it, it, and it was very heavy the script was very heavy there was a there was a scene where I have to I have to jog and I have a particularly <laughs> extremely slow jogging style like I listen to the today program <laughs> when I'm running so there's people like walking people with strollers walking quicker than I'm jogging so I thought well I should maybe just try and like maybe jog a little bit quicker than I normally do and then I did do lots of research like I, I bought lots of books about women who work in the uh, who, who've, who've worked for the RF. So that yeah. was exciting to do that research. And uh, this isn't a spoiler at all, because at the very beginning of this episode, you suddenly get thrown in at the deep end. Yes, that's right. Uh, um, there's um, an, a, an incident where um, an R-pass, which is the sort of um, technical term for the drone, uh, test goes wrong and um, a lot of soldiers are killed. And um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, DCI's Amy Silver is sort of thrown into this, having to solve this case and it's uh, my squadron, um, Eliza's squadron, that is at the centre of her investigation. But I very much resist having this woman coming and poking her nose into my affairs. So it was really fun to play those scenes. Yeah. And uh, it's so scary that the thing that happens. Yeah. Because you just think, oh, is that the future? Because that... Because... 
uh, yes, yeah. these, these drones are used for war. And drones are used for warfare, are they now? Yes, and, and it's like everything that I, I think is sort of commonplace now. It's like the, fu- the future has arrived. We're now living in the future. And now I feel like as a human being, you just sort of feel like some kind of horrible remnant of the past. Yeah. <laughs> and also you feel, like, you feel like, who asked for this? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't vote for this. Yeah. yeah. Whose idea was this? No, it's so, it is properly, properly scary. How many episodes are there? Six. Oh, I mean, that is, in fact, no, I should say episodes one to three are going to be all available on iPlayer. Yeah, so you can do a semi-binge. I think that's the technical term. So you can sort of binge. A demi-binge. Yeah, I think it's very BBC. They can say you can binge until midnight and then you have to go to bed and come back and do a demi-binge. Yeah, finish it up the following week. Oh, right. And presumably you you know everything that happens or have they kept things from you? No, I I mean, there were parts of the story that I was less familiar with because it is quite split between, you know, there's two parts of the investigation as as was the case in the first season where you have Saran Saran and Rose Leslie with two different parts of the investigation. But I I, I knew, yeah, I I knew the whole arc of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And because you're filming it, because there's a a Scottish bit as well with, we should say, Dougray Scott has also joined uh, the World of Vigil. was there a rap party? Did you ever meet? The- I met I met a lot of new people at the rap party. Oh, okay. <laughs> when, when when I was promoting it, I met a, met a lot of people I'd not had any, and you know, lots of lots of interview questions with people saying, "What was it like working with Dougray?" And I have no idea. <laughs> I hear he's lovely. Yeah, word has it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Uh, you are so. I mean, enjoy your Christmas because that's the end of time off for Roman Gary. In fact, are you in rehearsals already for Nackland? No, we start uh, immediately after after Christmas. Yeah, going okay. in January. Yeah. And that's going to be at the young. Uh, at the Young Vic. At the Young Vic. Uh, so this is Nackland. Is it a new play? It, it is in this country. Yes, it's um, it was pro- it's a German playwright, Marius von Meinberg. So it premiered in Berlin last year. So this is the first uh, English uh, UK iteration of it, uh, UK translation. Yeah. And it's set in modern day Germany. Yeah. But are there flashbacks in it, or just it's about what happened? No, it's a family drama. It's um, a group of people whose father has recently died, and the grown up children are kind of clearing out his house, and they find something quite explosive in the attic. And then it's a sort of very dark, very intense play with a group of people having a kind of intense moral argument about what to do with this thing that they found. Okay. That is something to do with Germany's past. Something, yes, quite explosive <laughs> to do with Germany's past. It's very dark, but it's like an hour and 15 minutes long. So you just go in and have this really intense experience. It's really sort of strange, funny at times, sad at times. It's a really amazing play. Wow, well sold. You had me at an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, I think I we all perked up there. I think I led, I led with that. <laughs> yeah, we, were yeah. All, we were like little meerkats. I mean, we were like, oh, no, ooh, ooh, an hour and 15. Dinner at oh, yeah. nine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, lovely. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, but then it's so, is it odd how jobs happen? So when you... <laughs> So you've got to be in that play at the Young Vic and then you're in cinemas uh, from New Year's Day with One Life, which is a, an extraordinary story. But well, anyway, tell us about that. So, yeah, One Life is um, uh, uh, an account of the life of Sir Nicholas Winton that some people may have heard of. Um, he well, very... It's a famous Esther Ransom Yes, thing. there's yeah. a very famous viral clip from uh, That's Life with Esther Ransom where he was kind of outed as being this hero of World War II because just before the war he went to Czechoslovakia and with a, a 
group of other people. He rescued 650 kids uh, who would almost definitely have been killed by the Nazis, sadly, but many of their, their families were killed by the Nazis and, and took them on, put them all on trains and took this mass transit of children across Germany, right on the brink of war, to safety in England and saving their lives. And many of those survivors are still alive. So it's a kind of account of that and how he was sort of very unwillingly at the end of his life kind of thrust into the spotlight. So it's also a lot about how, you know, these days, obviously, everyone is expected to kind of display their accomplishments yeah. all the time. Um, and he was sort of very, uh, very much a man of his age and that he was very modest. And uh, but then you play a woman who history has also not shone a light on. Tell us about her. Yes. Yeah, so I play uh, Doreen Warriner. Great to play a Doreen. That's not a name you hear very often. <laughs> who was an amazing woman. She was, um, you know, a, a Cambridge educated economist in the 1930s. Very unusual job for a woman to do. She kind of was a linguist and she travelled Europe uh, lecturing in economics and then she got pulled into humanitarian work in Czechoslovakia because there was this massive refugee crisis, crisis of just hundreds of thousands of people flooding out of Germany on the brink of war. And she was kind of trying to manage these huge, uh, unwieldy refugee camps with people with who didn't have food and clothing. Winter was coming. And then it was Nicholas Winton who came and said, we just have to get these children out. We have to just put them on trains and get them out of the country. And and, and yeah, so the film dramatises that that effort between the two of them. Uh, that sounds amazing. So that is uh, in cinemas from New Year's Day. And you, it's, it's horrible that things become timely, but it does sound like a very timely story. It's a very timely story and it's a real, the, the film is a real love letter to the effort of individuals to make a difference in the world. And I think particularly at the moment where it can feel very hopeless and what can you do to make a change? The film is a real testament to people's ability to make a change. And um, so Anthony Hopkins is playing Nicholas Winton and, and uh, Helena Bonham Carter. And it's a, it's a sort of very sort of um, beautifully made uh, traditional British film that's also very uplifting in its message and I think it would be um, a great night out in, in the cold nights of yeah, January. Yeah, a nice way to start your year yeah. with a bit of hope and a bit, <laughs> yeah. of, a bit of optimism. Uh, well, listen, good luck with a busy, a busy, busy year for you, Romola, and I can't wait to see the next five episodes of Vigil. Mm, exciting. Thank you. Uh, Vigil kicks off at nine o'clock, uh, BBC One, episodes one to three will then be available on iPlayer. You'll have to wait for the... Fo- when do the next three show up? It's the following week. They make oh, you wait why for Puritanical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stupid BBC. Why, yada, yada. Uh, thank you very much for coming to see us. Thanks for having me. I hope me. you've got a, a Mac because uh, while, <laughs> while we've been talking, the world has ended outside. <laughs> you can't see. Can I just you stay for like an hour? You can't see yeah. anything. Yeah, I'll chat to you tomorrow. You'll be, yeah. We'll find you asleep <laughs> under the Christmas tree. All right, thanks for joining us. Still to come, Miles Job has news of his new tour, which kicks off in January. But let's get the party started. Show Chef Martha's here. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. I'm feeling very Christmassy. There's a lovely screen with snow behind you. <laughs> There's the end of the world out the window. Yeah, don't look out yeah. there. <laughs> but on the trolley, it's a party. What have you brought us? It is. I'm feeling like the hostess with the mostess today. Yeah. Two different kinds of canapes for you. So we've got one, which is very, very straightforward to make. Just takes four ingredients, wrap it all up, throw it all together. Those are called no pigs in blankets. Okay. Which sounds a bit like... I just didn't make anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. none of these. Here's nothing. <laughs> Here's nothing. But they are a vegetarian alternative to a pig in a blanket. Okay. And then I have got to you a bit more, a little bit more, not too hard. You don't want any canapes to be too difficult. No. But crab, avocado and sriracha cucumber boats for people who want to push the boat out a little Well, <laughs> that'll be very impressive. When So uh, when you're having people over, you know, because, you know, canapes, you do need them. People want to have something to eat. 
how many would you have? Like three, four canapes or just the two? How many are you talking? So I would normally go for a bit of like a, a slight cheat, which is do a couple of homemade ones. So pick three and do them homemade, but make sure one of them is a make-ahead one. So you don't have to be putting your oven on or thinking about too much yeah. when people are starting to arrive. And then get a few supplements. So from either from the Waitrose canopy section or a few easy crispy things in bowls. <laughs> but no, You've got but, to have a few easies. But nobody wants bowl food. At a party. Oh, no. Sometimes you... they suggest that, but I don't know who has that many tiny bowls. <laughs> and also, I just want to smack people on the head. I can't I can't be eating out of a bowl and holding a drink at the same time. It's so true. But these look <laughs> ideal. These are a pawful. Uh, you know, you can have that. Da, da, yeah, it looks delicious. Uh, right, uh, tell us how to make the... Let's go with the no pigs and blankets first. So we'll go with the novice recipe first. So these are... The, the no pig is a piece of halloumi and the blanket is a piece of carrot. Which sounds dull, but it's really not. It is a taste sensation. (laughs) It does sound dull, but this is a great recipe because it's one of Waitrose meal maths ones where they literally give you four, you just have to put four ingredients and then you can transform them into something easy and delicious. So you want to take your block of halloumi, cut that into eight chunks, eight little fingers, Mm -hmm. and then we're taking one carrot, peel it into 16 strips. Mm -hmm. So you've got these kind of little ribbons of carrot. Pop them into a bowl and then we're adding some smoked paprika, which adds that kind of smoky bacon-esque flavour to the carrot. Um, And a little bit of olive oil, rub that all together so it's nice and well seasoned. You don't need to add much salt to this because the halloumi is so salty that the blankets can be a little more bland. (laughs) Mm. Um, And then we're chopping up a little bit of rosemary. So then you want to take each little chunk of halloumi, dip it into the rosemary, wrap it in the carroty blanket, and then they go into the oven for 20 minutes and they come out. And I think they'd be really nice with maybe a bit of honey or some kind of little cranberry dip. Yeah, no, they like are that. delicious. They really do have the kind of saltiness to the bacon mm. and, and everything. So you don't miss your bacon and your sausage. Uh, right, let's move on to the boats. On to the boats. So this is for your more advanced canapé recipe if you want to, you know... <laughs> and more advanced canapé eater, I would impressed. say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you've got to have your wits about you as you're eating it. Um, but we're going to start by taking an avocado for this, a nice ripe one, put it into a bowl and we're adding some spring onions, some garlic, some cumin, basically just giving that avocado loads of flavour because that's going to replace the kind of the seeds of the cucumber so mm-hmm. the watery bit gets chucked out and in its place goes a richly flavoured avocado filling um, and then we are taking our cucumbers they're midi cucumbers from Waitrose so not the huge ones which makes them a little bit more manageable size wise but yes. if you just had regular cucumbers you could chop them up a bit smaller scoop the seeds out the, cut them in half scoop the seeds out the middle fill with your avocado then we're going to finish them with crab so I've got this white crab mix that I'm putting into a bowl lime juice goes into that a bit of coriander a bit of seasoning then you put that on top of the avocado to finish off the boats and then the very last thing which gives them a bit of colour is some honey sriracha sauce oh my goodness I know I didn't make this from scratch this is from the sauce shop that they sell in Waitrose love it and it's brilliant it's got such a kick and the sweetness works really nicely with the crab and all the lime it's like a lovely little zesty light bite and if you want those recipes you can head to waitrose.com slash showchef uh, get those recipes or all of Martha's recipes you can also check out the visuals on our socials at Virgin Radio UK thank you for the Christmas treat I look forward to more Christmas treats tomorrow morning mm-hmm. the Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose food to feel good about Virgin Radio
Miles just suddenly shouty man on the other side of the desk. Uh, Miles Jupp joins us. He is back on tour uh, January next year. On I Bang is the name of the tour. And I was saying to you, I didn't realise until I was reading the the Saturday Times today. Uh, Miles Jupp, you've not been very well. Uh, I'm fine now, but yeah, two Phew. years ago, two yeah. years ago, I was very um, unwell, but I but well looked after. Yeah, I had a, a brain seizure. Um, when I was filming something, luckily, because that meant just uh, that there were people there that knew what to do, like a, a medic, sort of first yeah. aid person, yeah. that, uh, you know, makeup designer, she knew first aid and set medics and that sort of thing. And I was right near a, a trauma unit as it happened, Middlesex Hospital. So that, um, and then they discovered I had a, um, a mercifully uh, benign brain tumour. And then about two or three weeks later, I had, I had brain surgery to have it removed. So this is, yeah, September 21... Uh, so you know, I've had a while to get back uh, back on the horse. Um, but what, I mean, uh, and obviously you're now doing jokes about it. But, uh, yeah, but at the time it must have been terrifying. It was terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying now. But I, I, I guess, yeah, I, I sort of wrote it up a while after I started writing it because actually, because when I first was getting better, I was sort of struggling to put what had happened in order. And there was certain, like at one point, I kept, I'd have to think for ages to remember the word tumor, which was sort of at that point quite central to my <laughs> life. So I, I sort of thought I better start writing it down so they, I can answer questions. They'd literally cut it out. They'd literally, yeah. <laughs> And so then I get, and then so people, you know, said, "Oh, did you sort of use humour as a way of sort of coping?" And you thought, "No, I mean, you completely unhelpful in that situation. You sort of what you use is 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 the National Health Service and qualified medical practitioners seem to be the most appropriate sort of form of treatment." <laughs> yeah, turns um, out laughter isn't the best medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just a sort of yeah, yeah. It's very much a footnote. Uh, but I, um, yeah, and then I, eventually I got to a point where I thought, no, actually, I quite you know, I like doing a show. I did one over a decade ago where I did a sort of stand-up show that was just one long story, and I thought I'd like to do something like that again. And of course, now I've had a thing happen to me that's sort of suitably in tense I guess and that you yeah. can do a, uh, a deep dive they'd call it in the world of uh, print journalism I suppose but just going you know just doing that story because of course you know spend time in hospital or whatever you're in a, it, and this was during the pandemic as well so it was all sort of heightened and and you know but of course it does give rise to lots of situations where you're a fish out of water you're massively um I was going to say I'm out of your depth, but that doesn't follow on from a fish out of water. The no. whole thing, these, these, two, those two analogies should never be used near each other. No. For, uh, for this is, you know, these are the sorts of situations I, you know, brain-wise confused I get into now. But I then, you know, it's a voyage of indignity at times as well when you're going through the sort of hospital process. So it kind of, yeah, threw up ultimately lots of things. But it was it was a while before I thought this is funny. And it, you know, of course, there's serious bits in it because you know there's the it's pretty high stakes. There's the nearly having, dying having, bit. Yeah, the, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's Exactly. Yes, yeah, exactly. Which bit. is, you know, yeah. which is a very real, yeah, very and real kids feeling. And a wife and yeah, you know, there's, all that sort of there's stuff. life yeah. and yeah, there's yeah. people on the end of the phone waiting for the news that you're waiting for or whatever. Yeah. So so everything is is kind of cranked up. But so um, so you do that, you get out. How you know because you know they're sticking things in your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, how confident were you? Oh, I can go back to work and still be funny. Uh, well, or even 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 function. I mean, I I um, I remember saying I had because I had like an acting job in the diary. And I remember saying to the surgeon, "Check, I'll be able to do an acting job in three weeks' time." And he went, uh, "Is it the sort of job where they could hold up your lines on a big piece of card?" And I said, "No, it isn't." And he went, "I don't think so." To, to be honest, <laughs> he said, "No, give it." He said, "Give it six, which was very realistic actually, because about six six 
weeks later, I started the first thing I did back was doing Frankie Boyle's New World Order, which was handy because it was one day a, a week, and I could sort of be at home in Wales, sort of sort of uh, around the house, yeah. and then I'd go up to Glasgow, do his show, come back, sort of sleep for two days solid, and then um, and it just meant that I could sort of inch back in. But I thought doing a show like his, there's an element, you know, it's just one evening, but it's a, you're kind of pressure testing yourself a little bit. Yes, uh, and he knew obviously that he. I told him of course, but I didn't. Other people there didn't know, and my, you know the bits of hair that were going to grow back had grown back by then and you could sort of get on and, and be normal but it was just sort of inching your way back but that is that's the that's the whole point I suppose from a, the surgeon's point of view that like, we just want you to go back to your normal life that's that's the whole point in this that's the outcome and he, he'd said at one point the surgeon there's two surgeons but the day before the surgery he said look if this goes well you've got it's, a, it's an anecdote in six months you know two years it's a, it's a show but uh, obviously that was, was how I was how I was thinking about it you know how long, uh, but uh, that that's the thing is going back to normal life but every aspect of normal life when you go back to it scares you the first time you do sort of anything I had a sort of 18 month period where the first time I'd done anything for the first time since the operation I thought, will I still be able to do this particular thing will I still be able to ride a, a bike or there was one I had to go on a a horse for a film had to do some sort of and I thought this is absolutely bonkers because <laughs> I got picked up they were going okay you've got a horse riding lesson tomorrow um where can we pick you up and I looked at my door and I said can you pick me up from the MRI unit at Ealing Hospital and they went yeah fine we just need a postcode but luckily no one put the two things together because maybe we shouldn't be sticking this guy <laughs> yeah, on a horse yeah well yeah. is this helmet enough and so your story with stand-up so you acting was your thing well Bally, the first... was your big well, that, but I did stand up before. Oh, that. you did? Yeah. Oh, I see. I I started stand up in two thousand, so that was oh, okay. my thing. And then Balamori was a sort of random thing that came along, and I we were doing a tele show in Scotland called Live Floor Show, and then someone there said, "Oh, do you audition for this thing?" And I thought, "Oh, this must be how it works. You know, you do one, and then another thing unaway that you then no, you then sit on a sofa <laughs> for four years watching box sets." But I so I did that because I met that would I would have met you in two thousand and one. I did one thing called Say You Think You're Funny, and you were the, oh yes, you were the host. That would be two two thousand and one. Is yes, it must be two thousand and one. So I would then that, but I was sort of still at university. So anything that sort of came along, you just kind of. Yeah, kind of do. Balamori, I was third year at university and, and I had an agent by then, but he was going, yeah, just do that. No one will see it. It's on some sort of Digibox thing. <laughs> just crack on, you know, it's a bit of training, a bit of money. Um, and then, so I had no idea this was sort of slightly out of control beast. Um, that's, that's what's my nickname on the... No, no, <laughs> this show would get sort of bigger than a way that would, you're like, oh, no, gosh, that was a bit out of control. So then I, and then I sort of got back into the acting a, sort of a few years after that, but I, no, I had a period of doing close to nothing, I suppose, wondering why the phone wasn't Oh, is that weird? Because in my head, you've, you've kind of kept the acting going, even though you've, you know, you're presenting your stand-up has become... You know, that's how a lot of people know you. But you, you keep your hand in with the acting. I just keep going, yeah, I, I didn't get an acting agent until 2006, I think, and then I didn't really get anything. I would do little pop-up things. <laughs> you didn't talk to him until yeah. <laughs> 2000. And then, well, I think things like the thick of it in Rev 2009, 2010, oh, yes, yes, and that yes, sort yes. of got things moving along. And yeah. then, then, But, yeah, I just think, I, I mean, I don't really think you have to choose between these things, really. They, they You know, they're there or they're not there, and you yeah. have, as you know... You know, small amounts of control, really. The great thing about a stand-up show, with this one, there's the control thing. And I can say, I don't really want to do weekends or half-terms or school holidays. And, you know, whereas if you're doing a play, you've got, your, you know, Saturday matinee, Sunday evening oh, thing or whatever. So with this, it's... You know, Who'd it's be in more. a play? Oh, you. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you. You do plays. Yeah. But, but, and you're in a big Hollywood movie. You're in Napoleon. Well, why not? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, that that was the one I was going for the riding lesson for after my oh, MRI of course. thing. Oh, I had yes. to play a yeah. I was I play I play the emperor uh, Emperor Francis of Austria and Europe, 
Um, and I, yeah, I conceded an enormous amount of territory very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Very, I'd say fun. I mean, it's sort of terrifying because the scale of the thing is enormous. And Ridley Scott shoots super fast, sort of two takes of each scene, and there's six cameras. So you think you really do have to turn up ready to work. It's not that that kind of sort of half an hour reading the papers in the dressing room yeah, and sort yeah. of sharing anecdotes or whatever. You think, okay, right, we're going. I don't really like rehearsals. Can we go for it? And you think, okay. Uh, so and then you know, um, here's you know the other guy in the scene. You know, he just won the best actor thing. Anyway, do, let's all crack on. Everyone spread out a bit, do your thing. So you do have to turn up absolutely ready to work and making um, sure that you've recovered from any recent neurosurgery. For instance. <laughs> and as an emperor, presumably you've got some people around you. They've got like lots of, you know, is there a, an army standing behind you as you're talking? Well, when I so I've sort of lost a battle when I could turn up, but they they go um, say so I've obviously have a stuntman to do the riding, and I uh, I'm they go you go you go around the corner, and then your 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 stuntman will arrive in a horse, and he'll jump off, and then we pause, and you take his place, and uh, so as I say, no no rehearsals, and then they go action, it all gets very quiet, and I think what's going on. And then I can hear some hooves. I thought, that's kind of quite like 50 horses with riders on them came scrunching through the forest, pulled to stop right in front of me. And it's just the one at the front. That's sort of my, oh, my goodness. And I sort of run over and go and stand immediately where he did, as if, I, as if I've just sort of led a brigade of horses. Do you call them brigades of horses or is it the men that are brigades? I get these, these sort of things luckily didn't come up. They, they leave it to the experts. Yeah, but I don't know. It was frightening. Uh, uh, Napoleon, you can go see Miles Jump in Napoleon. There you go. Uh, or you can see him on tour from uh, January, January to March. Uh, tickets are at milesjump.co.uk. I'm so glad you're well and healthy and much. back Thank in the you. world. Lovely to see you. Enjoy the rest and of your weekend. Great. Take Bye. care, Miles. Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.